92nd Street Y Online Media is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. This program features architecture critic Paul Goldberger with architect and author Rainier DeGraff for a conversation about Rainier's book, Four Walls and a Roof, and the State of Architecture Today. It was recorded on May 3rd, 2018, before a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. Thank you very much, Omar. Um, happy to, to be here. Um, our main subject tonight is this book, um, which um, I'm actually quite excited to be talking about. Uh, I am an unabashed fan of it. Um, if only because it is so rare in my experience to come across an architect who can write. Um, this is a book full of beautifully composed sentences. Uh, it is a book that is uh, a wonderful, uh, frequently ironic, uh, subtle and beautifully told tale of an architect's career. Um, that uh, to me is written, you know, from the standpoint of somebody who understands the architectural culture, um, knows and acknowledges its strengths, but is very uh, able to separate its strengths from its foolishnesses and is quite uh, able to acknowledge those as well, too. Um, and I don't know that I've come across a book in recent years that more aptly uh, analyzed the uh, complex point of intersection, let's say, between architectural ideas and the way things actually happen in the real world. Um, and it's not written from the standpoint of bitter anger by an architect whose brilliant ideas are being dashed on the rocky shoals of politics and economics, uh, but rather with a kind of wry and ironic sense of uh, knowing that the world is very complicated and we kind of have to somehow navigate our way, our way through it. Um, so, uh, I'm anyway, a, a long introduction by means of uh, saying to Rainier, uh, not only thank you for being here, but thank you for writing it in the first place and reminding us that uh, there there is such a thing as a literate architect running around in in uh, in, uh, in Rotterdam, if not always in New York. Um, I have actually noted a whole bunch of uh, quotations here and things that I, I want to talk about and, and ask him about. But let me start with a, a much more general question. Uh, one thing that there is very little of in this book is actual discussion of architectural form and specific buildings. Um, was that a way of saying to you that isn't as important, or you wanted to tell a different part of the story? Um, the intersection between uh, formal design intentions and the built reality, which often falls short of that, is, is the sort of an implicit subject of the book. Um, what led you to not want to talk very much about what buildings actually look like? Well, because there is enough books that do that. Okay. Uh, is the short answer. And uh, the, the book was written precisely for the reason that there are so many books doing mm -hmm. only that right, right. Uh, and very few books uh, write about the context in which built form emerges mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is often a very big part of the explanation and in my view a bigger part of the explanation than the explanation given by architects mm -hmm. uh, I mean mm -hmm. I, I think I say it somewhere in the beginning uh, of the book partly as a discouragement for people who are ultimately right. looking for that, that this is um, a book about the work of an architect and not about works of architecture. Right, 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 right. Um, and in fact, it 
but it is also not a book about the creative process of an architect. It's about the other parts of an architect's work, yeah. uh, which, of course, in real life probably consist take up more of an architect's work time than the other parts. Um, yeah, but it's, it's essentially what it does. It uses well, my job right, right. Uh, as, mm -hmm. as a way to look at the world. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and, and it doesn't kind of propose a lens onto architecture, uh, onto build form, onto its creative process, etc. It really uses, in a way, uh, the opposite direction, looking from inside mm -hmm, mm -hmm. out uh, right, at right. the world. And, and, uh, and I, I simply felt that there was a lot of interesting stuff to tell that probably a lot of other people besides me experience mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. when they do their job and they never talk about it. And I always wonder why that is. And probably maybe they're afraid that it will hurt business mm -hmm. if you are too mm -hmm. open about stuff and it could, although it hasn't, I believe, right. so far, Knockwood. Um, but it's, but, uh, it's, 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 it's that primarily I, I tried to write a book about architecture that I thought didn't exist in, in that particular mm -hmm. form. Mm -hmm. Right. No, no, it, does, it is not at all. I mean, you write a lot about, I mean, one of the most compelling parts of the book is a sort of a long midsection of multi-chapters uh, that is done almost like a diary, chronicling uh, several major international projects uh, in both London and, and Moscow, as well as Dubai, um, and trips back and forth uh, long public hearings, long meetings with clients, um, the elusive and complex nature of what the of who the client actually is, and the ambiguity often of who the client actually is, and and the power structures and power battles within turf battles within the client group often. Um, one realizes from this that in fact uh, probably. The, most, the rarest and most precious time in an architect's life are those moments when you can actually sit quietly and think about architectural ideas, as opposed to uh, dealing with the political challenges of making them happen and getting, getting attention to them. Um, uh, it's, in a way, uh, maybe the inverse of so many other books in which those sort of obstacles or complexities or whatever um, are viewed as something to either be ignored or uh, grumbled about. Uh, you, you have a wonderful phrase here in which you say, uh, you're referring to um, a meeting in Rotterdam, I think, with the future users of an apartment block uh, and referring to another architect, not yourself. So-and-so uh, is in a hurry viewing clashes with local authorities or evenings like this, a public hearing, as little more than speed bumps in the path of his career. Um, it's a wonderful phrase. Uh, it seems to me one of the things you're doing here is actually analyzing the speed bumps as opposed to calling them speed bumps yeah. and ignoring them. Wow. Yeah, and speed bumps vary in size. Yes. I think yes. uh, that was a particular me uh, residence participation mm -hmm. meeting in which the architect was continuously interrupted by the uh, sound of opening beer bottles. Right. These pop-up uh, intentionally so that he couldn't finish his story. And that was a form of protest against the perceived injustice that his project represented to an old ah. neighborhood. And uh, Actually, you were maybe almost too subtle in the writing because I didn't pick up that the beer bottles were anything yeah. more than a sort of pleasant diversion as yeah, opposed well, to a, a political act. Yeah, well, they... Uh, okay, well, that was implied. Okay, even well... Not, mm -hmm. um, even if not said, it's, it's sort of the mm -hmm. one instrument left. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but anyway, the, the part you refer to in the middle of the book talks about speed bumps, which are considerably larger. And um, Right. I mean, the nice thing about evenings like this is that generally the vast majority of the audience hasn't read the book mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. you can sort of uh, you can sort of talk about it but the middle part of the book is is a diary uh, of right. a project in Ingerland a project in Russia a project in the Middle East and a project in Iraq and all of these projects did not happen and that is very uh, important because it I mean the implicit lesson is that 
failure can be a very extractive uh, experience, but the far more interesting thing is that the project in England didn't happen because of the financial mm -hmm. crisis. The projects in the Middle East didn't happen because of the building bust. The project in Russia didn't happen because of a shift of power from Medvedev to right. Putin, and the project in Iraq didn't happen because of ISIS. And, and very interestingly, it's a diary with an almost myopic fascination of an architect me and me on his project and a desperate attempt to make it happen when clearly of course world history is bigger than right. any consideration you have so if the popping beer bottles were the speed bump uh, in, mm -hmm. in that particular evening here the speed bumps are mountains right 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 exactly and um and the analysis of them is really compelling i mean i i found myself uh, uh fascinated far beyond the amount that I ever could have imagined myself being with your uh, delays in, the, in airports and your delays with customs officials and problems with air flights, all of which might appear to be banalities, but are actually told in a, in a very compelling, compelling way. Um, was it intentional that you chose projects that ultimately were never realized yes. so that right yes. okay yeah right because you did not want you did not want the story to end happily as it were or that you did not want no 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 I did, 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 part okay. of the reason yeah. so this yeah. is about the experience of an architect right. Yeah? Right. and when you write about buildings and you write about built form then you right. essentially write in my view about five percent of your profession right. and right. of what you spend your energy on and uh, because I mean I think for every 10 projects you work on, one gets built and then mm -hmm. you're lucky. Uh, right. And, but that is not to say that there isn't any value in the other nine. And mm -hmm. then, of course, mm -hmm. from uh, a learning point of view or from a point of view of understanding the world, often the things that do not happen, in a way, teach you more than the things that uh, sure. that, that do happen. And, and I, I thought it was, in a way, a nice point, the fact, you know, write about a series of projects, all which were aborted because mm -hmm. of major shifts in, in, in recent mm -hmm. history, mm -hmm. and, and therefore also demonstrate the kind of David and Goliath relation that we're utterly, uh, ultimately involved in, and whenever we work, we right. don't always realize uh, that. I, I can be amazed, I mean, particularly in the American academic system, mm -hmm. how incredibly hermetic uh, and introverted uh, architects find reasons for architecture invariably in architecture and nowhere else. Right, right, right. Well, you, you use a wonderful line in reference to um, academic discourse back in the 1980s, but I think it still all too often applies, that there is a consensus that architecture, parentheses, invariably capitalized, is an autonomous discipline independent of any context, material, societal, or otherwise. Um, and I think this book, if this book exists to make any point at all, it's a refutation of that view. Yeah, I forgot I said that, actually. Oh, do you, do you yeah. regret that you no, said no, that? No, 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 I think, no, I think, I mean, it's I think one I, of the best lines in the book. Yeah, but I mean, the, the book is out, meanwhile, uh, for more than half a year, uh, and with all the editing, it means that probably the time I wrote that is even further in the past, so the memory also. Right, right. Right, right. Yeah. But yeah, you're teaching at Harvard now. Um, yeah. Uh, does a line like that, how does a line like that resonate there? Oh, I, I think fine, just as long as you don't talk about a whole bunch of other things at Harvard, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're completely in the safe mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. haven. I think uh, that there is uh, a relative appetite to to for to engage that idea, but it takes a certain amount right. of pushing, mm -hmm. and I think that there's almost a lot less resistance from students mm -hmm. than there is actually from the generally established staff uh, at a university. I mean, students are actually quite curious uh, and actually quite eager, in a way, to also be pushed out of their mm -hmm. comfort zone, often more than the educational institution themselves. So it's, I mean, it's been four months and it's been okay. Great, great. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I think the, the, um, the notion of our architectural culture as autonomous um, and self-referential is something that probably um, 
academics have more vested, more interest in than students themselves. So, um, which um, I want to quote a few other lines and 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 talk about them, um, or ask you to talk about them rather, um, which and then then get to some some larger points in the book. Um, one is a uh, I cannot resist, just because it's, again, such a nice piece of writing, a description of the country residence in which uh, uh, Medvedev, Medvedev uh, was during his presidency. The residence, a large Palladian villa with an entrance portico, curiously supported by four pairs of Doric columns, the sheer weight of power wielded from within, so it would seem, requiring extra structure for support. Um, that's, that's quite nice, actually. Uh, can you say any more about the experience of being with uh, the president of Russia at that time? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it, it gets better right, from there. Right, yeah, I mean, it's true. when you get past the four Doric columns. Right, right, that's true. It gets, <laughs> that's true. It gets really interesting. When it gets yes. really interesting. Yeah, it's the true. then president of Russia. But, I mean, you, you made an interesting remark that, you know, I write about projects, mm -hmm. and then it's unclear... And you write about clients, but it's actually unclear if they are really the clients. And of course, right, here we right, had a president right. of Russia, where it was right. unclear if he was really the president of Russia. Right, 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 uh, right. And it was an extraordinary uh, uh, meeting with a lot of you know, souffleira. I don't know what the English mm -hmm. word is, what a guy on the stage does. I mean, it was whispered in his ear uh, almost constantly. Mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. we presented the project with an oligarch who was forced into financing uh, right. also works quite interestingly and he was so nervous that he didn't utter a word which meant that the simultaneous translator uh, ended up presenting the project uh, of sorts and and then apparently that was translated into political speak in his ear and in in the end he nodded and he said krasiva the russian word for beautiful mm -hmm. and that was it and then nothing ever that was uh, the only uh, thing yeah. he ever said that's right, the only right. thing he ever he ever said. I mean, he didn't. He didn't. I, I don't don't know if he speaks English, but he chose mm -hmm. not to. Right. It would also be inappropriate in his own residence to yes, to, yes. to do that. But yes. it's uh, the weird thing was that the most interesting thing there uh, was not even that meeting, but was the waiting. Uh, mm -hmm. was the waiting room. I think the meeting started three hours after it was announced. Right. And there's this. I think the Godfather Two starts with that. It's it's some sort of a. A wedding, uh, and and then uh, the wedding is not really a wedding, but the wedding is an alibi for the bosses to meet mm -hmm, the real boss. Mm -hmm. And they spend this time in a dark room with the blind shuts, and they have to wait. And the time they have to wait is indicative for their status within the family, right. or how soon right. they're going to be assassinated, or whatever. And and that waiting room felt a little bit uh, like that. I think the combined fortunes of people in there was about the size of the Dutch economy. <laughs> uh, but they were all nervous they were all very very quiet and I think this was also the um, the moment that, there were th that Medvedev was in power it was clear that Putin was going to was succeed going to him yes. and there were protests right, right. Uh, in Moscow and the protests were being broadcasted on television mm -hmm. big TV screens in the waiting rooms mm -hmm. and uh, the crowds were cheering because they had achieved a major victory and that was that a senior official in the United Russia Party, a senior advisor of the president, had been fired. And they celebrated that outside as a victory. Mm. And what they did not know is that he actually, that his demotion was, in typical Soviet style, a promotion because he had been demoted to the cabinet of Putin, who was hierarchically who below a, the right. president. So that's what seemed a demotion was actually the preparation for a way more pos important position. And he in would the ride years back to come. up yeah. with Putin. So you effect. saw, yes. yeah. So yes. you saw TV screens with crowds getting there, and inside, one by one, the people came to him and congratulated him on his promotion. And it was the two things, like the foreground uh, mm -hmm. of, of 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 an apparent political victory, celebrated in in the intimacy of a waiting room, against. Crowds cheering over victory that they didn't reach. And I often wonder how symptomatic that experience was in how we read Russia mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on a global stage and how nothing quite is what it seems. seems. And, and in that sense, that experience was very, very telling. I mean, I don't work in Russia anymore, but of mm -hmm. course I see the news. I see a lot of the news. And I always wonder 
whether what I hear. Right, right, of course. And and, and the the, uh, the obvious fact that at at the end of the day, nobody really knows anything, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> nobody truly knows what's going on. Yeah. Um, it is amazing, by the way, um, that they would play, um, you know, the, the, these broadcasts in the waiting room showing the opposition. I mean, it's sort of as if, though, as if today in the White House, instead of having Fox on all the time, they had MSNBC or something like that. I mean, that, 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 that in itself seems but that a little tells you th yes. that, that tells you something about the degree of sophistication of mm -hmm. either. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, that's true. I think, okay. you know, if we yes, presume yes. that democracy is uh, in part and parcel a matter of simulation on either side of the fence, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. I think they do a damn good job. I mean, the project mm -hmm, I'm talking mm -hmm. about, yes. uh, the, 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 the Silicon Valley, uh, right, right. which was supposed to hold the G8 or G whatever, uh, as a venue, which was a big part of its raison d'etre, it was clear throughout the project that the G8 was never going to take place there. It was mm -hmm. going to take place in Sochi. Right, right, right. So they spent enormous amounts of money and enormous amounts of energy on building efforts to broadcast a certain message when they themselves already know that they're going it's to do happening. it uh, differently. Yeah, and yeah. that system goes to such uh, a length in terms of, in, in terms of portrayal mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and in mm -hmm. terms of appearing... Uh, Democratic appearing responsible right. without ever the real intention of being, so that that in a way is also a very admirable, yes, perversely admirable mm -hmm. quality. Assuming, uh, and it of course makes a very big change from 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 uh, the Russia in former days mm -hmm, mm -hmm, when it when it mm -hmm. when it was communist. But you can really wonder how different things really are, but the main difference is in the portrayal of the outward image. It did occur to me at one point during that part of the book that it is not an accident that the common phrase Potemkin village refers to something in Russia. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that you know, because it is really, uh, the Russians invented the concept of the Potemkin village, of, of um, the, 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 the structure that is, that is for show. Um, Let me ask another, or uh, quote another line that may, may bring us a little bit more toward a, a discussion of architectural form. Um, a contest between the abstract and the picturesque is rarely decided in favor of the abstract, not when it is up to the people, whoever they may be. Wait, what, what essay is that from? Uh, it was page 229, so that we can... Uh, see what that was... I think the context in which what, what I write things is incredibly was, important see. to me before I comment. Sure, okay. <laughs> let me, let me find. It was page 229. I noted that. Um, so I will tell What's you... What's the essay title? It is in the essay... It is a Spanish tender. Okay. Which is ah, not, remember, a, not about remember, Spain, I, of I course. remember. I remember, yeah. yeah okay, yeah, good, yeah. good. I remember the um, occasion. We are... Um, Still very much in the Russian, yeah, it's, it's, the Russian it's, it's story. A public, it's a public hearing, mm -hmm. this time in Russia. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. Um, but w you were making what seemed to be a comment that um, left, left to their own de devices, the people, quote unquote, will be unlikely to choose an abstract over a more yeah, figurative this, solution. This was a very interesting story. Okay. There was, there was mm -hmm. us, mm -hmm. and then there was a French firm. Right. It was the year uh, of Russian-French friendship. Uh, the award ceremony, whoever was going to win, was planned in Paris. So you sort of have an idea of who was meant to win. <laughs> right. Um, and then uh, we had something inspired on the old Naukogorods, the kind of uh, constructivist, uh, science, modernist mm -hmm. science cities in the former Soviet Union. That was a source of inspiration that we didn't, right. well, too openly say, but nevertheless it was one. And they had something, an urban village, which they charmingly always pronounce as an urban village. Yeah, right, right. And the kind of thing. So if you put that in, and, and then there was a crowd gathered, I think from the local community, which consisted for about 50% of pensioners and the other 50% of local drunks. 
and and so if you have there a, you know stark modernist line and somebody talking about an urban village right it's kind of predictable what the outcome sure. of such a meeting uh, will be and who is going to appear the more humane mm-hmm. of the two planners so even the that mm-hmm. hearing was planned right you know to have a democratic legitimacy of a win that was in a way mm-hmm. predetermined right 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 um how um, impactful are public hearings in Russia, let's say, compared to, given the, the political realities there, despite no, the attempt to create the image or impression of democracy. No, but I mean, public hearings are only planned when right. they are uh, to serve the purpose that right, is already right. pre- predetermined. Determined. Right, I mean, right, you have right. kind of elections, but you know the outcome in advance, right, right, so you right. have a choice. But So that public hearing, had they wanted us to win, mm-hmm that public hearing would never have been right. organized. Mm-hmm. Or if it had been organized, its composition would have been crafted in such a way that it would have favored right. to the other right, side. Right. You know? so, so it is always with a predetermined conclusion yeah, to so bring about. Yes. Chance is choreographed so brilliantly. Right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right, 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 right. Good, good. It's um, very, it's very, I mean, yeah. Um, if I can bring up another... Please. Yes, please. Yeah, if I can bring up quotes in yes, as much as I sure. remember them, uh, too. Um, I, I think in that uh, article, I allude uh, to a chess game at, mm-hmm. at some point where uh, when I was learning to play chess, and mm-hmm. I, I remember it very well, and at a certain moment got a little bit better and started to play, look at the matches in the newspaper and got a Karpov-Kasparov match, and, and mm-hmm. we played mm-hmm. that match. And, and me and my opponent said to each other, it's like, this is crazy. They are useless. They, I mean, they can just take that piece. He can just move there. He can just, why, why don't they do that? Mm-hmm. And then you discover that they play that cautiously, that cowardly, mm-hmm. and that incompetently because they're thinking not four moves ahead, but 40 moves ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That in mm-hmm. a sense, and, and, and this is also symbolic of the experience, what you perceive as chaos as mad coincidence, mm-hmm, as incompetence mm-hmm. is part of a, of a very well-constructed plan with a horizon that's so far away that you can't really see it. And, some, uh, and, 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 and that is an interesting metaphor. So all of mm-hmm, these hearings, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. normally, architects are terrified of hearings generally right, because right, anything right. can happen. That meeting yes. in Rotterdam, I mean, they can go berserk for whatever reason. I mean, mm-hmm, if there's not mm-hmm. enough beer, uh, the project is, I mean... Or, or <laughs> the project is in jeopardy. Is the project right. is in acute jeopardy. And we know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, 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 the huge chance element to those things, but there, that chance element is planned, knowing that it will take place, knowing that it will derail, mm-hmm. but the derailment isn't accidental, the derailment is carefully planned, but it has all the hallmarks and it appears as coincidental as it does in your own system when it's actually planted. Right. And this is yeah. a, a kind of very interesting kind of mirrored universe in which there are a lot of things you that are familiar, that you know, that you seem, but they're choreographed. Unlike here, right, Unlike right, here. right, right, right. Yes, because you're right. I mean, the, it, is, it is very different from uh, a purely dictatorial system that has no desire to appear otherwise. Yes. I mean, as in China, where, or at least most of the time in China. Um, I remember being struck, uh, I don't know, about a decade ago when I was in Beijing and seeing the new um, airport that Foster and Partners had done yeah. in Beijing and being told that uh, that entire airport, the largest single air terminal in the world, was constructed in less time than the length of the public environmental hearing process for Terminal 5 at Heathrow in London. So, um, I mean, the, the, uh, but what you're saying is that Russia, even though the outcome may be as determined as, as predetermined rather as it, as it can be in China, there is this elaborate, if we can cross cultures for a moment, kind of kabuki dance that goes on uh, to make it appear otherwise. Yes. Right. Yeah, and that's where, where it differs. But I, I, by mm-hmm. the way, I, I, yeah. I, that about the Foster Terminal, yes. I don't buy that. I mean, you okay. hear that a lot. In those yeah, systems, yeah, yeah. things at least happen, and they happen yeah, yeah, fast, yeah, yeah, right. and we talk for ages. I mean, what I've discovered in working in different parts of the world right, is that right. there is a kind of a law of retention of inefficiency. Mm-hmm. That any system, 
Uh, and we have the inefficiency at the beginning right. in, in terms of consensus building, right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they have uh, the inefficiency often later on. What I have experienced is that certain decisions are taken rash, and they're mm -hmm. taken because of hierarchy. And mm -hmm. uh, the, the ruler said so. The ruler That's is wise, therefore we must do what the ruler says, and then you find it. that what the ruler says collapses or, or, or create whatever other disaster. Then somebody has to go to the ruler to point out, dear sir, it may be mm -hmm. your suggestion wasn't wise. And that takes every bit as long as a public hearing process mm -hmm. that it takes here, that it's every bit as complicated. And I've often done work on projects mm -hmm. to help undo mm -hmm the de decision of the previous so that at least the blame could be allocated differently and that therefore a decision could be reverted. I mean, our inefficiency is in taking decisions. Mm -hmm. Their inefficiency is in reverting bad decisions. But do they, do, do they always acknowledge bad decisions and revert? No. Them, no. But I mean, but then you create yeah, right. inefficiency even further down right, the line right, of, right, a, right, of right. A, a rapidly constructed airport that then decided not to get used. I mean, that also mm -hmm. happens. Yes, 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 sure. sure. You know, which mm -hmm. is, of course. Mm -hmm. Right. Good. Um, let me, let's move on to um, what, I, what I found to be uh, a an equally compelling but very different part of the book toward the end, um, where you really uh, were first uh, in one in one I think chapter forty one, you actually talk about Thomas Piketty and and that book uh, and tie those issues about uh, income inequality and wealth and capitalism today to the state of architecture and. Uh, look at the larger question of the, the triumph of the market economy today uh, and ask, and I will quote yet another line here, uh, does the 20th century, 21st century mark the absence of utopias um, and contrast the um, utopian origins of modernism with its ultimate... Um, evolution into uh, not utopian social ideals, but uh, corporate style that supports wealth. Mm. Um, that struck me as something that could indeed stand alone as a book unto itself. Yeah, that uh, was that also effort. the original proposal of the publisher. Ah, uh, but really? Oh. Is, is there okay. another bottle of water? Uh, yeah, that was the, uh, the, the book came about also mm -hmm. as an accident. Uh, okay. Uh, and that is maybe interesting to sure. tell. I mean, I wrote, I wrote on the internet, uh, mm -hmm. and then, uh, then there was that essay about Piketty. Yeah. Uh, and then the editor of Piketty had read that essay, the publisher of Piketty had read that essay, wrote an email and, and, and called and say, can you expand that essay into a book? Which is what your suggesting now and then I said no I don't have time uh, and pretty much everything I've had to say I'm not an economist everything I've had to say is in that essay and then we got talking and it basically became this bundle of essay but for me it, it is the essay that in a way triggered the book uh, that is I important to say and uh, what I think is interesting and the essay deals with modernism and yeah. if you look at the 21st century it seems like modernism in contemporary architecture has simply a second lap of victory. Mm -hmm. It seems like a, an incarnation. Of, it's, it's eerie how much the 21st century looks like the 20th in terms of built form uh, often. But that the meaning of that architecture in the prevailing system is almost opposite to the meaning the architecture had in the 20th uh, century. It's, it's quite interesting that, let's say, in the context of a welfare state, if you built industrially, if you built rationally, if you built cheaply, then that leads to affordable homes for the many. If you do the same thing in the context of the market economy, you build rationally, efficiently, and cheaply. That doesn't mean building get rented or sold cheaply. They get rented very, very expensively. And then your repertoire 
starts to serve profit margins rather than money. money. Yeah, uh, and, and, and the kind of thing. And it hardly ever, and it's the same style. It's the same means. It's the same compository repertoire that can be used so easily for a purpose antithetical than the one for which it was originally invented. And that's, for instance, a very compelling argument, I think, to look at context, because mm -hmm. I think there are countless architects who, because they make a white, abstract, concrete building, consider themselves highly enlightened, progressive people mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and are blissfully unaware of the ulterior motives they uh, serve. You're absolutely right, but hasn't this is not a new phenomenon. I mean, haven't we been seeing this certainly since uh, the 1950s, the post-war years when, say, the, the triumph of Skidmore, Owings, and Merrill in the U.S. was to take uh, modernist ideals and turn them into a corporate style that yes. then was, in fact, replicated even more, much more cheaply by Emery Roth and a million uh, other people. Uh. I, the essay talks primarily about housing, right. Uh, right. Okay. by the way, and it also talks about the European situation where a lot of that type of development that had in a way started in the United States earlier really mm -hmm. took a foothold in the 80s. Yes. Uh, yes. But the, the, architect, the essay also uh, talks about postmodernism, mm -hmm. not as an architectural style, but as a way, as a response to a different relation to money. Mm -hmm. uh, of, of, mm -hmm. of, of architecture and, and that in a way one could say that a lot of the regurgitated modernism uh, of, mm -hmm. of the years that followed postmodernism is, is as much postmodernism in, in, in a way that it entertains the exact same relation to the economic system as the one that initially gave rise to postmodernism. And I think there also you are Strangely, inside architecture itself, you are witnessing a situation where nothing is what it seems. Mm -hmm. And where, uh, in a way, the message that buildings, if you look at them in purely architectural terms, convey are actually very different from their actual meaning. At least that's the, the, the point of the, of the Piketty essay is what he, he's an economist and he has written about... Uh, the history of economics comparing right. the return on labor versus the return on capital. Mm -hmm. uh, and what he says is as soon as the return on capital surpasses the return on labor, the average person can work all they want. As soon as you make more money from having money than you do from working, the divide is only going to get bigger. Now, real estate... And we are, we are living in that in right that now. Right yes, now. Right, and real right. estate plays a crucial Right. role in that. I mean, the average Londoner cynically says, last month, my house made more money than I did. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and that is, of course, very good if you have a house. Right. Uh, and, and the first generation that, in a way, was able to buy council property uh, for, for right. mortgages for which they could actually lend the money has benefited from that. But successive generations are seeing escalating housing prices and seeing an architecture right. ever further. And therefore, the house becomes reach. more out of reach for them. Yeah. Right. And what it's, it's very interesting in the Netherlands currently, we see a situation where rents are returning. I mean, there was a trend when, mm -hmm. when the balance really shipped more people bought their homes. Uh, they became conservative voters immediately right. when yeah. they did so. Um, but then recently, uh, it's harder and harder to buy homes as first-time buyers. So what you see is expensive rents. It's that foreign mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. or, or, or larger investors come in. They buy real estate housing by the bulk mm -hmm. and then rent them out again. So the mechanism mm -hmm. of buying, right. which allows the average individual to economically benefit, is meanwhile also out of reach of the individual. I think that's, it's, it, yeah. We're not, yeah. We're, we're seeing not distinct situations yeah. here too. And also in terms of, you know, the meaning of modernism, I mean, if, I don't know if you've, you've gone to Hudson Yards here lately, you know, the, the, the mega development, uh, in West Midtown, um, which is um, modern in a superficial stylistic sense, and yet, of course, nothing could be a greater triumph of um, capital over labor, of uh, wealth over social good, and so forth and so on, seems to me. Uh, not unlike most mega developments, I guess, around the world today. Um, 
Yeah, well, what is a lot of what is a very interesting additional effect to that is a lot of modern architecture mm -hmm. is empty. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> there is uh, that. There's a picture that I show in lecture. It's a picture of Beirut, where you mm -hmm. have the new Herzog and Demeron terraces tower right. next to the Holiday Inn, and the Holiday Inn was a sniper tower uh, mm -hmm, during the mm -hmm. war. It's full of bullet holes. It's empty. Its emptiness is a trauma. The building cannot get repaired. Uh, it just stands there like a sort of dark monolith in the city. And next to it is another building, new building, about the same size. It is also empty, but it's a huge success. Mm -hmm. It's a huge success because all the properties have been sold at record prices. So there its emptiness is not a pro The emptiness is a success in one building. The emptiness in the other building right. represents a trauma. And talking about utopias. Yes, 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 yes. the absence yes, yes. of utopias, I think that there's a beautiful symbolic. It is. It, it, uh, it's very powerful, yeah. actually. Well, and we are not, uh, that, that, that condition is not unknown to us in New York, where we have uh, I know. vast numbers of uh, condominiums that have dark, been dark at night. Dark at night because yeah. no one lives there. That you know have been brilliantly described by somebody as safe deposit boxes in the sky, oh. that really are more about the but, wash of capital around the globe real, than real anything estate, else. Real yes. estate is the Fort Knox. It is the right. physical counterbalance of yes, exactly. money, and that that is real estate. So it's like sculpture, or you could call it, I guess, on a right, right, a right, piggy bank. right, um, right, right. Yeah, and I and uh, I one. Thing that's resonated with me for a while since I heard it a year or two ago was uh, a report. I think it was in Hampstead in London of local shops all closing, uh, not because, as we're used to having happen in New York, because greedy landlords kept raising the rents and driving them out. They were closing because there was nobody there to shop. Yeah. Because nobody needs a dry cleaner if the entire neighborhood is lived in by Russian oligarchs who are never there. Yeah. So um, they were closing because they were. There was no, no demand for them whatsoever, which is the same as the, light, the lights being off. Um, let, this is now a good moment, I think, to open the discussion and turn to uh, any of you who have a question or a, and want to, want to join the conversation. Um, I, I hope there are some questions. Um, I would be surprised if this book did not stimulate some good ones. Um, while we wait for some, um, let me ask Rainer about um, something else, um, not directly from the book, um, which is just uh, what projects with OMA are you now working on? Oh my God. I will ask. Uh, a um, I work on luxury housing developments, which will most likely be uh, empty. <laughs> okay. You work on the very things you're so telling us are, right. Mm. Important parcel, mm -hmm. that's not even so far uh, okay. mm -hmm. uh, off the truth. Uh, I uh, am working, uh, hopefully, on acquiring. Uh, and you have to work on something to acquire it in this mm -hmm. day. It's on the front mm -hmm. of Guinness Brewery ah. in Dublin, yeah. which is an mm -hmm. interesting hybrid between... Uh, a preservation project and a new build mm -hmm, project mm -hmm. where uh, where in a way the new buildings in a way are at the service of the old in the sense that they mm -hmm. fund uh, a kind of making public of, of older buildings but I mean nothing I'm, I'm not working on anything particularly interestingly can can mm. we have questions or mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yes sir yeah. yes No, indeed it is. I mean, and dictatorships are economic. I mean, the promise of democracy was that if you became democratic, you would become wealthy, and we're seeing ever more uh, proof of the opposite. Um, how do you deal with that? I mean, it is an integral aspect, I think, to architecture and to the architect of all times, that you have a curious mix of uh, that you're dependent on the very powers you're often most critical off and, and that therefore any kind of categorical demeaning where you say never 
uh, it's very, very difficult. And that architecture becomes a kind of very manipulative, almost judo-like act where you try to use the forces that come at you, even if they're not necessarily benign, to create something in everybody's uh, favor. And, and even in repressive societies, you're talking about building endeavors. And very often, even those building efforts themselves are neck and neck race between good intentions and probably not so noble ulterior motives. And I think the best you can do is apply your work to make sure that the good intentions just finish slightly ahead of the ulterior motives, but you can certainly not eliminate the uh, ulterior motives. I think, um, I mean, if our, if our relevance is limited, then I think so is our, ultimately our contribution to history in, in, in those terms. But I think it makes the, the biggest difference uh, is the awareness of precisely that. I think there's two ways uh, of working in the context you describe. It's ignoring it or being ignorant of it, at which point it's, I guess, relatively easy uh, to do your job, uh, or knowing and then doing what you do while knowing and that's considerably more energy consuming and harder but I still think it's always better to know even though it opens you up of course to the question that when you know why do you do it but I think that is essentially architecture it's doing it despite the fact that you know it yes sir so one place in the book where you actually did talk about form was Yeah, I, I think the Seagram is very, I, I think the article you, I, I think I referenced Mies well, probably multiple times. So there are two places where I do it explicitly. I have a, uh, a section on the Farnsworth house. Right. That's essentially to talk about the garden uh, and not the house and to say that the garden is as designed at his house and that therefore the accidental right. setting of an industrial building in nature is a very staged uh, thing. The other, the only thing where I, I do talk about form actually, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and I talk about form in the sense right. that there's an essay called The Box, which is about as sophisticated uh, as I can talk about form, the inevitable box. And it talks about the box as paradoxically the outcome of the most sublime architectural effort and the outcome of no architectural effort at all. And how curious it is that, the, that those two extremes can produce such very uh, perversely similar results. I think the Seagram building is interesting because it perhaps represented a very last moment that architecture could represent private interests with a certain degree of respectability. Uh, and it did that through a form of abstinence uh, in a very interesting way. So why, why abstinence? Well, because it's 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 the me style. It's it's a it's a core and a shell. It reduces a building to the very minimal ingredients of a building. And if you have to speak on behalf of an interest that you don't share, it's always very good to say mm -hmm. very little. So therefore, minimalism, <laughs> that type of minimalism, is by definition a very good style uh, to articulate motives that are not your own. I mean, if you're incredibly verbose and you have to speak on behalf of somebody mm -hmm. that you don't agree with, you're uh, likely to get in a hell of a lot more trouble than when you speak in aphorisms, as of course Mies did as, as well. So I don't know whether... Yeah. I, you have to ask him. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I mean, it's part of my career that I regularly have to apologize for not being Rem, and I uh, was kind of hoping tonight would be an exception. Uh, <laughs> well, um, I'm going to steer away from Rem and back to Mies for a second, and because uh, I, I I'm definitely not Mies. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you look more like Mies than Rem, though. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's men's fun. Um, I mean, I, I don't think the Seagram building is truly austere. It's, in fact, 
if you think about the lavishness of using bronze rather than something yeah. else, of the material materiality all the way through it, uh, of the um, excess space of the public plaza and yeah, the I, rich traffic. I mean, it was, it I, was in I, fact, I, no. it, it, there's great uh, richness there yeah. within the restraint, yeah. it seems to me. Yeah, but I, uh, I, I don't think I was also using the word austere. That's okay. also not what I was trying to say. I think it's also, mm -hmm. interestingly, a building for a private interest in an age where private interests hadn't fully discovered how to make a building efficient. Because mm -hmm. it wouldn't have had the generous uh, circulation space, it would have had all kinds of net yeah, yeah. gross ratios optimized, etc. Well, I think that, I, I, right, no, although, and, and it was seventy yeah. percent over budget or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. So yeah. I, I don't think it, it had did, a budget. Actually, did, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I think it, it did um, a great service uh, in in arguing against optimization right, through right, that sheer right. fact. So. Right, exactly. I mean, I think I'm not sure that uh, private interests had failed to discover. Uh, how to make a building efficient so much as in this particular case didn't care about it. Um, I mean, part of the problem, I think, of the Seagram building to the extent that there is one is that it could fool so many people into thinking it was easily replicatable. And that therefore, thus we got Third Avenue. But that is the right. quintessential seduction little quality of Mises' work. Yes, right. That it, right. That it, that it inspires emulation because it tends to inspire thoughts that it's easily emulatable, exactly. only to find out that it is impossible uh, to emulate. That's exactly and that's where, my of point. course, my, right, my right. essay mm -hmm. about the books mm -hmm. is exactly about that. Right, you know, right, it, right. The, the eerie similarity between the banal and the sublime, uh, and that the sublime, therefore, can trigger the banal into thinking that they're sublime without ever really right. being that. Right, uh, right, 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 exactly. Which is kind I of mean, a... I mean, being an architect I mean, and never quite knowing whether you're on the side of the banal uh, is, is, <laughs> is quite a comforting thought, I guess, to all of us. Well, there's, you know, uh, yes. I mean, I we mean, tend to make the distinction between architecture and non-architecture, but mm -hmm, I think that's mm -hmm. a divide that happily runs within architecture, within architecture abso too. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, sir. Farnsworth House was indicative of an idea where the simplicity of the box is really embedded with excess uh, inefficiencies to the point where you know you say it's perfect because of the fact that it is so inefficient. But today we're dealing in quite a contradict uh, the the opposite condition where no matter what the budget is, the the aesthetic remainder of the project is is predetermined by you know by, by by factors beyond your control, yeah. yeah. And so, like, what do you, how do you then uh, decide what the form of the building will be and what's its relevance? Well, you started about asking the relevance of the architect, which is a pretty big question. But let me give a bit of an introduction so I can think about the answer. Uh, um, my book is not pessimistic. Uh, and my book is also not a very long-winded argument to stop doing what we're doing. I mean, I think some critics, uh, I think a Dutch critic wrote that she would have had a hell of a lot more respect to me if the last chapter had been a resignation letter. Uh, but it, it isn't. She misread the book. Uh, well, it isn't, and, and I, I actually enjoy... When something is difficult, the difficulty doesn't diminish the relevance. Quite the opposite. Uh, I, I think precisely in a context where, uh, I mean, because architecture is also under scrutiny from all the factors that I describe. And, and like, like the authority of any profession is waning, like the authorities of teachers at university is waning to the point that, well, uh, let's not. Um, 
the authority of any profession is waiting. That is simply part of our time, but that doesn't make the, those professions irrelevant. It just makes the, the, the stakes higher and the odds higher, and therefore I think it increases. The difficulty in general for me increases the relevance. Uh, but I think it's a challenge you can only ever counter with any uh, chance of success if you're curious. And, and maybe that is what the book is. It's a very long argument and plea for curiosity. Uh, because you can never, if you're frustrated by things or if your things are difficult, you can never counter them by, by remaining ignorant of them. And that's the same reply as, as to the oppressive regimes. I think it's simply better to know. And, 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 and the conclusion of knowing, at least in, in, in my case, or at least in the case of the book, is not resignation. Right. I mean, yeah, it seems like a super affirmative book. I mean, it's, it's just that I think what you're doing is that you're elevating the paradoxes and contradictions that an architect encounters every day, and that the higher the, the um, profit value of the project, the greater the complexity. <coughs> seems like it's to say that within projects like that, the, the aesthetic liberty is not greater. It might be just as much as a, a super low budget project. And, it, and the question is, how do you, how do you, uh, what's the strategy for the aesthetic when that's the case? Whereas with, with Plano, it was the, it was perfect in your description because of the fact that there was an abundance of budget and inefficiency. Yeah, but also a court case afterwards. Yeah, right, right, and, and, right, right. And, and, and it, it had its fair share. Uh, it, of, it was also yeah. a house and not housing. Yeah. And, you know, had a, a unique set of circumstances that ultimately, as you know, said, led, led, led to court case, led to litigation anyway. And I think there's a, but money has a curious effect on buildings, and it's very schizophrenic. Uh, it makes buildings more generic, and it makes buildings more iconic. It's, it's big money, uh, has in a way exacerbated uh, both tendencies, more neutral, generic, objectively opti uh, optimized buildings, but it also has created icons, because apparently right. the revenues from attracting attention are larger than the money saved from building uh, efficiently. I think the effect of money on, on architecture is very schizophrenic. And it's, it seems symbolic of an effect money has on society mm -hmm. as a whole, where, where it's about the elimination uh, of a middle ground and a celebration right. of extremes, be they generic or be they uh, ultra-specific. Right. I, I would very much agree with that, because in fact, one, one might say that while the effect of money on architecture can be perni quite pernicious, uh, the absence of money can be even worse in some ways, sure. and, and uh, total austerity rarely yields uh, great things either. I, I think what is what, yeah. what, what is a difficulty uh, of the architectural profession is that most architects know quite a lot about money. They know quite a lot about what building materials cost, what to do to a building to make it cheaper. Uh, but they're happily oblivious of the economic life cycles that their buildings have once completed. Uh, mm -hmm. which, you know, uh, mm -hmm. are astronomical amounts, which in a way are amounts such that they make the savings uh, look incredibly futile and, and puny. And I think there, uh, a, a, a sort of an enhanced form of knowledge of the later effect of the work once you have left the stage would probably mm -hmm. Uh, do architects the world of good in, 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 in a negotiating higher fees, but also organizing more rooms of maneuver uh, for themselves. Because by taking pride in being so efficient in saving costs, you're often also not helping yourself. And I think, and that can only be, because we, we, we work on a 50% on a knowledge basis when it comes to the finance of a building, and therefore on the basis of a 50% handicap. And, which, and I, I think money is, of course, a very serious part of context, which mm -hmm. deserves the mm -hmm. same amount of attention as physical context or cultural context. So money is a cultural context right. in this right. day and age. Of course. Age. Yes, absolutely. We have time for one more. There is one before we adjourn. Uh, anyone? Uh, let's go to this side. Yes, sir.
what he needs to have. Yeah, I, I would. Because you know more than he. Well, uh, that, that, that's debatable in some cases. <laughs> uh, I, I would say, well, I mean, you should never tell your client that you're educating him because, I mean, I think that's probably the quickest exit ticket. Uh, you can, uh, you can uh, get yourself. I mean, the best thing, I mean, generally in, uh, in the cases of most projects, <clears throat> particularly in Europe, a project comes about as the result of a triangulation between those who take the initiative and fund the building and those who have to approve the building. And in that context, uh, those who fund the building have a vested interest in listening to an architect because he is quite often better than they are in terms of predicting what is acceptable to third parties and what is, uh, uh, what is not. And in that sense, I, I wouldn't call it educating, but in that sense, there is a dialogue uh, and, and the logic from I pay you to do this so you do it cannot quite prevail because that's ultimately often also not in the interest of those who pay. So it's, it's also complex on that level. Right. That's why you are architect. Okay. Right. I, I never thought of it like that, to be honest. But. Okay. Thank you all okay. very much. Thank you very. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this Nine Two Y program. For more information, visit Nine Two Y dot org. This program is copyright 2018 by the 92nd Street Young Men's and Young Women's Hebrew Association.